Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. If you feel like your allergies are having a comeback tour and you want relief quickly, you can try Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny, and itchy nose and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Welcome to Switched On Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. When I think about how pop songs are written, I still have the image in my mind of artists like Bob Dylan, the answer is blowing in the wind, Carol King. Or Stevie Wonder. For sitting in front of a piano or strumming a guitar on their lap and pouring words out onto a page. And then, of course, there's collaborators, famous songwriting duos like George and Ira Gershwin. Lennon McCartney. Nile Rodgers and Bernard Edwards. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. or even Pharrell Williams and Chad Hugo of the Neptunes. But of course, the vast majority of pop songs aren't written this way anymore. Now writers are often put together into group sessions with strangers, largely in Hollywood songwriting rooms, churning out songs in a method that John Seabrook of The New Yorker dubbed The Song Machine, where a producer or engineer sits behind a computer making a beat, as top-line songwriters improvise melodies until they land a hook, and then lyrics are paired with the best melodies. It's really a numbers game. A pop songwriter will generally work at least five sessions a week, writing 200 songs in a year, and if they're at the top of their game, maybe 20% of those songs will actually get turned into records. Or maybe someone likes the song and they want to cut it, but it needs some punch-ups and rewrites, and the credits on the song balloon into dozens of co-writers. That can be fine if one of those 200 songs, workshopped or not, becomes a radio hit, because it can change your life. But really, you're not expecting to write a hit every time. At the very least, you might form a new relationship to make a new songwriting team, like Harry Styles has with Kid Harpoon and Tyler Johnson, who've collaborated on all of Styles' solo material. But frankly, this session writing method can be a slog. You're working mostly on spec and windowless studios that don't always spark creative inspiration. And really, this isn't the lifestyle you've imagined for yourself as a pop songwriter. When I was a naive Midwesterner in a small town growing up dreaming of being in music business, I kind of thought we'd be in exotic places and we'd be on private jets and we'd be living like a rock star, right? This is music industry veteran Peter Cokiard, who works for Milk and Honey and the Invitational Group and built a career for himself in publishing with the likes of The Who. He's managed songwriters who've penned hits for Beyonce, Britney, and Rihanna, among many others. He's made it in music, but his childhood rock star lifestyle ideas proved to be wrong. That was kind of the the myth and the dream that most gigging songwriters and music executives know is largely a fallacy unless you hit Jay-Z, Beyonce, love. But Peter had a vision to make this dream come true, at least for a select few working songwriters. I have incredible admiration for great writers and people with talent. And if I can get them together in a five-star villa or on a $40 million yacht and do whatever, it's like... I'm so happy to be able to provide that 
experience. Yeah, I'd be pretty happy to go on one of those experiences. It turns out this is actually a thing, and it's called a songwriting camp. Think luxury summer camp for songwriters by the water with a bunch of strangers in a new culture and, yeah, maybe even in a castle. The first camps I was aware of was Miles Copeland's castle camp around 92. Miles Copeland managed the police. He's also the brother of police drummer Stuart Copeland. And together they were all very successful. He became a huge music publisher with his company IRS Records, which afforded him a giant 13th century retreat home. The Miles Copeland thing was he would bring his developing artist to his castle in in the Loire Valley in France. And he would basically bring in a bunch of top songwriters and they would hang out for a week and they would write songs every day. And that's the first time I heard about it went, oh my God, that's genius. I want to grow up and do that, right? <laughs> I was like, I love to travel and I love music. So I was like, this sounds like the greatest combination of things in the world. Copeland has hosted these songwriting camps since the early 90s in his castle. And they're not just luxury retreats. At least four number one hit songs have been written at the castle, and countless songs written there have been recorded by artists like Celine Dion, Britney Spears, Cher, John Bon Jovi, Sting, and Ellie Goulding. Here's the number one hit, Something Bad by Miranda Lambert and Carrie Underwood, written at the camp. This camp was a hit, it's generated hits, and like a great song, these camps were also an inspiration. Peter thought that there was an opportunity for more camps like these. I wasn't really aware of any camps that were going on. It wasn't really a thing. It was literally me going, hmm, I always love what Miles did with the camp. I just happened to build a house in Bali. Bali's really great, and I was living in New York at the time, and I needed a cheap excuse to go to my house more often. So it's 2009. Peter's got this great vacation home. And one day he's hanging out with his pal who runs Island Records in Australia, who's just signed a new artist. And Peter gets this idea. Why don't we send them to my house in Bali and they can work on the record? And you and I should just go and make sure they're working right. And then he said, well, well, if we're going to do that, why don't I bring a few other artists on the label? And I was like, okay, well then I'll open the Rolodex and I'll start bringing some more writers. It'll be a, a great networking experience. Like we're going to try and meet singles for these artists, get them out. And so they invited some songwriters who pay their way to Bali for the first Bali Invitational. And kind of like writing a song, this was a creative experiment. I asked Peter what he hoped to achieve with this first Bali Invitational Song Camp. The goal is really, it's really about the relationships that go on into the future. If you write a hit song during that period, that's great. What are the long-term relationships? Do they become frequent collaborators when they get back home? To me, that's the end game of these things. The, the hit song, as someone recently said, is the cherry on top, right? But of course, Peter is a music industry guy. He doesn't run summer camps. He doesn't know what's going to happen the first time around. It was sort of haphazard. There would be rolling blackouts at the studio. It was kind of crazy. But we wrote 29 songs. I think we had 15 cuts. And we had three gold singles in Australia the first year. <laughs> we went with like one platinum and two gold singles. And we went, wow, that kind of worked. Maybe we should keep doing this. This Midwestern kid made his rock star dreams come true and made that dream true for all these songwriters. And wildly, it wasn't just a party. I mean, 15 records cut with multiple gold singles. Clearly, he landed on something. To be honest, I'm kind of surprised. Like, if you sent me on a vacation to Bali, how motivated would I be to get work done? So I asked Peter, 
What about this experience generates so much new musical creativity? Creatives are inspired by a change of scenery, a change of venue, a change of chemistry in terms of the writers they get to interact with. Therefore, I think they're naturally drawn to things like song camps because I think they they draw inspiration from new experiences. And I think that song camps, for the most part, provide a really targeted, focused dose of that. Peter loves throwing these events, and so he's done it every year since 2009, save for the pandemic. The Bali Invitational has become a staple in pop songwriting. Many of the biggest writers in the world have come over the years. We've had Kesha and Demi Lovato and Nick Jonas and Armin Van Buren. Noah Cyrus's July, which is a billion streams, was written in Bali a couple of years ago. Find someone that loves you better than So it's been fun. Peter really just does this for fun. It's a side gig for him. But the word got out about the experience and the songs written there. And in the mid-2010s, song camps just exploded. Everybody and their mother are doing camps these days. The publishers started doing them. Artists started doing Rihanna started doing like Rihanna focus camps and they're doing them at G Jam in Jamaica and they're doing them at Black Rock in, in Greece. Artists like Rihanna and Beyonce and many others host their own camps to generate material for the albums. Publishers host camps with just their songwriters hoping to churn out dozens of new songs in a week. Catalog owners are hosting camps to specifically place interpolations into new hits. And then there's folks like Peter who put together these song camps for relationship building. He's even grown the Invitational group to camps in Montenegro, Transylvania, and Tuscany. And frankly, at this point in the story, I'm thinking, must be nice, right? Because I would really like to go to one of these song camps, but I've got two young kids. I don't really have the capacity to take a trip. I can't really ask my wife, hey, can you solo parent while in Bali with Noah Cyrus and a bunch of songwriters? So I didn't think a reporting expedition was possible right now until I heard about a songwriting camp that was happening in my new hometown, New York City. You know, when most people think of a songwriting camp in the industry, they tend to think of major labels sending nine or ten writers out to a castle in the south of France. That's Danny Ross. He's a producer, songwriter, and professor at Berkeley, New York City. He's the founder of the Antisocial Camp, a song camp that kind of has its own spin on it. Antisocial Camp is unique in that it's the first ever front-facing global festival that is also a songwriting camp. So in addition to 120 recording sessions in three days, which means 120 new songs born into the world, there are also events uh, every single day and night um, that include a Spotify industry showcase and a Grammy's red carpet gala and a playback party to hear all new songs, uh, as well as an education summit at Berkeley. Think of it more as like a South by Southwest for songwriters. How did it all come together? It came together at first because I'm a producer myself living in New York City. And during the pandemic, I was able to catch up with a number of other producer friends and talk about the craft and the trade. And we recognized that um, there isn't really a forum for us to do this. Let's create a formal community. So we created this community called the Antisocial Producers Club. And it went from a handful of friends Zooming to 75 producers with billions of streams and dozens of Grammys within a year. And we said, whoa, there's really a hunger for community. And not only that, these are New York-specific producers. A lot of people don't know that most of the New York music community had left for L.A. 
uh, over the last mm. 10 years or so, as well as Nashville and Austin and Miami and Atlanta. But there's still a considerable group of talent that is still here. And we wanted to shine a spotlight on us who are remaining and want to reinvigorate the New York City music scene. I think especially since the pandemic, musicians especially are eager to get together in person. Zoom sessions have been occurring over the last few years since the pandemic. I think musicians, producers, artists, writers, you know, have some fatigue about remote sessions. They want to be in the room together for real. And, you know, it's a great excuse to come to New York City and help revive a community here that that is hungry for it. Hmm. So this collective sort of emerged and evolved into this songwriting camp. And uh, here we are today, three years into it, it's the biggest songwriting camp in the world. What's the profile of someone who is a part of the antisocial camp? There were about a thousand applicants this year for antisocial camp, and that includes artists, songwriters, and producers. But it ranges from folks who are doing quite well, like Nicholas from Walk the Moon, Moby, Andy Grammer, Sam Harris of ex-ambassadors, Grace Vanderwall, Wolf Tyla, producers like Alex Tumay, as well as up-and-coming artists who, you know, are are doing incredibly well, but maybe don't yet have that, that kind of name recognition. Hmm. Can you describe to me what happens when these folks get together? Yeah. And the amazing thing about the camp is that it's almost like our actual summer camp <laughs> in that 200 people or so walk in on Monday morning not knowing each other. There's a session from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., You're walking into a studio in the Chelsea neighborhood of New York City. You know, you're at the artist lounge, you're doing your social interviews, you're meeting other people in the industry, and then you're going inside the studio where you're meeting a songwriter and a producer that you've never met before. And you're talking for the first hour about your life and your relationships. And next thing you know, people want to know intimate details about your life so that you can write a song that's vulnerable. Bearing in mind, you've just met these people. <laughs> and, and then you'll pick up a guitar and start to work on a, a lyric or pick up a piano and work on a riff or the producer will come in with a beat or start a new drum beat based on reference songs that you've gotten excited about, you know, in your conversation about your favorite artists. Over the next four hours, hopefully, you walk out with at least a one-minute completed demo of a song that is a verse, pre-chorus, and a chorus. And if you really, you know, like hit on that magic, you've walked out with a complete song that's three minutes long or so. And um, either you're ready to talk release plans or, you know, mixing or otherwise. You then leave that session, head over to a studio, let's say in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and you do the whole thing all over again from 2.30 to 6.30 p.m. And from there, you maybe walk on over to our gala at Brooklyn Brewery with 300 people, an open bar, red carpet. You're dressed up in a tux. You've changed in the meantime, and you're out with the entire New York City music industry with three, 400 people. Then you, you're going to sleep at 12, 1 in the morning, and you're waking up at 8.30 or so for your 10 a.m. session the next day. It's truly a bonding experience, and and that's one way in which camps are a little bit more special. It has a a high impact in terms of personality and and collaboration. And you do that three days in a row. What are some of the outcomes people have had from the the camp? I mean, the best outcomes are when they love the song and they want to release it, and they are making plans with their management or their label to put the song out. And at the very end of the camp, Everyone gets together. This year it was at a venue in Brooklyn called Elsewhere, where we play back 
every single song that has been created in the camp. That's 115 songs, back to back to back to back to back, <laughs> uh, and so on. <laughs> and there are 60-second clips, and all of this music didn't exist a few days ago. Yeah. It's the reason I do it. It's the, it's the best moment of the camp for me because, wow, all these creative people got together, they built community, and they created all of this new material, all because we decided that it was something that was worthwhile. When we come back, I'm going to go inside Antisocial Camp into a songwriting session to see how this all really plays out, how a group of strangers can write a song in just four hours. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. If you have allergies, then I've got a familiar scenario for you. You wake up on a beautiful spring morning and peek outside. You get a feel of that nice breeze, but then you start to feel a little tickle in your nostrils. That tickle is the spring air telling you to go be a hermit and avoid the outside because you'll soon be a sniffling, sneezing mess. But don't listen to it. Allergies suck, but a good nasal spray makes all the difference. I personally learned that I suffer from adult onset allergies, and it's a real bummer. But a good allergy med makes all the difference for my ability to go out in the springtime to smell magnolias, my favorite flower. If you also want relief quickly to get back to breathing in the spring air, you can try Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. <laughs> Because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. What I find the hardest to believe about song camps is their output. Again, like you go to Bali or the center of New York City, are you really going to be productive and write two songs a day? I asked Annie Ross, the antisocial camp founder, to put me inside one of the rooms so I could hear how these sessions happen. I want to see how a song gets made in four hours. So I head downtown to invite-only studios, and I go inside a small studio room with a sofa and three chairs 
just big enough to fit five people. The last session left the room with a faint smell of cannabis and menthols that stick to the maroon sound panels coating the room. I'm surrounded by recording gear, a giant desk, the biggest loudspeakers I've ever seen, and a few guitars and keyboards. I'm setting up my mics to be a fly on the wall as more musicians start to walk in. First, Will Campbell. He works at Invite Only and will be engineering the session, followed by Nicholas Patrika, lead vocalist and keyboardist of Walk the Moon, who you surely remember for their hit single, Shut Up and Dance. Will? Hey. Next is Andrew Mari, an acclaimed mixer for folks like Sean Mendez and Post Malone and Kimbra. He's going to be producing and running the session on his computer. And then Julia Cumming, lead vocalist and bass player of New York City's beloved rock band Sunflower Beam. Hi. This is the first time they're all meeting, and it could be awkward, but they all know how to do a session. So Julia kicks off the conversation with Nicholas to figure out how they can collaborate together. I don't know. What have, what have you been what have you been making? What's your process been like in general or in here so far? I've been writing mainly for others this week. Yeah. It's been a little different every time, as usual. I feel like in these in this type of situation, I am usually on bass yeah, starting. Like I don't know if you want to be on piano or guitar. I love to start on some kind of synthy. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. So we could kind of if you want to start on a synth and I'm on bass, and we just kind of sing together and see what happens. That's cool. Both Julia and Nicholas have done a number of other sessions at the camp, writing for both themselves and other people. And so they need to figure out what the goal of this session's going to be. And they're quite diplomatic about it. Yeah, do you have a, an intention as far as, like, artists? Like, do you want to write for you today or for me? I'm down for either. Do you have an intention? Do you, are, are you looking for something for you? Um, I, I was kind of thinking that I might do something for me today. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Yeah, okay. I think you should lead it. And if if you'll allow me to just play some bass and do what, however I can be a part of it, I'm down with. Great. And so they start jamming. Nicholas finds a keyboard. Julia takes out the studio's bass and tunes it up. And Andrew pulls open a drum sampler plug-in on his computer. It's bright and full of colors, and Nicholas immediately notices and thinks it's really cool. Yeah, what the That's fuck really is cool. that? That's really cool. I never this plug-in? Um, it's called EXO. It's like a drum sequencer. It's like you can very quickly audition like a million things. It's like a really fast way to generate a beat. They toy around for 10 minutes picking out drums and learning this new tool when Julia gently chimes in to growl the group. Is there anything you've been listening to or any like anything, any vibe that you're feeling today? Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, kind of chasing a little something. It's some, uh, okay. brain sauce. I'm not really, not, not really sure. Andrew sets a click track. Nicholas digs into his proverbial brain sauce and finds a beat, jams out an idea on his keyboard. Do you mind if I play anything along, or should I just let you get it to where you Let me noodle for a moment, and then, uh, and then, then let's jam on something. Okay. Yeah, thanks. And then he finds the synthesizer line, just enough material so Julia can start improvising on bass. Yeah. Kind of here, yeah. Like, kind of alternation, but yeah. But it's, it's a little sleepy right now. I'm not sure, like, how to energize it. Well, do you want to? Maybe just some like songness. Maybe just some like lyric and melody. And just yeah. something is just gonna give us some. I feel like we we got excited when we thought this might be the a little bit of like a vocal lead idea. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Julia works out some melody ideas, and the whole group comments on the strength of her voice, but you can feel that the room isn't quite vibing together. 
And so she checks in to see if they can build out a concept to wake up the song. Is there anything you've been feeling like feeling lately? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, not at all. Um, I have um, some tarot cards and a book about color. Great. And um, a whole bunch of uh, witchy things. So great, one witchy boy. We can always pull a card. Great. Honestly, things are off to a rocky start. There's a palpable sense in the room that this idea isn't really working, that they need to take a pause. And so everyone takes a snack break and they come back 10 minutes later. And rather than trying to push through this idea, which isn't gelling, they just decide to start all over again. They've got now about three hours to write a song. I'm ready to just like kind of move on. Yeah. Let's put idea. this put this one like, you know, pull a post-it note on this one and sure. try something totally different. Cool. Yeah. Sweet. I don't want to start with any, anything in particular. I keep hearing a, a, a like shuffle, like a triple thing. Nicholas walks over to a mini log synthesizer and immediately bangs out this riff. <laughs> Puts me in like Muse world. What world do you want to be? I don't, I don't know. Maybe can we get a kick? It's so teetering on the edge of like so many songs, so it's like finding our little niche with it. You know, it's like a little, like, it's a little dark. It's like, it's, it's feeling a little melancholy. And so Nicholas switches the riff into a major key. And by brightening it up, all of this music starts to pour out of him. I'm honestly surprised at the speed at which Nicholas is working. He's just got the synthesizer idea, a little melody. And from there, the whole song structure emerges as everyone else in the room follows along. That's a good, good little starting spot. Yeah. Things are literally starting to click. Will and Andrew on one side of the room start chopping up this idea on their computer keyboard, playing random beats into the room at the same time that Julia and Nicholas start probing for lyrics. What does it feel? Yeah, it kind of puts me in like a... Like competitive kind of. It feels like riding a horse. <laughs> I feel like I'm at this uh, kind of turning point with myself of like being in a state of personal development and and noticing my destructive habits or like a kind of right or patterns. And, and like there's part of me that is driven to improve, is driven to. Um, it's like almost like an '80s thing. To come. Not make it too on the nose. Though. The room is sounding like absolute chaos to me, and yet both teams are zooming in closer to their production and lyrical ideas. Like this, it's like this image of like the final like, boss in the game. I like it's that. Like, That's fun. It's a mirror in your reflection. Picturing like the image of the battlefield or the court or the wherever 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 it is that this. Conflict is happening and like looking at the aftermath. And then all the noise quiets down and Nicholas emerges with a melody. This melody unlocks the song for Nicholas. May I share something? Yeah, of course. This, I feel like as, as I'm evolving, definitely like boundaries is a big lesson, mm -hmm. you know, and being more conscious about how far to extend or open myself and 
in my last relationship. Uh, and of course, in this beautiful, intimate moment, the producers have to drop the beat, drowning out the conversation between Julia and Nicholas, where Nicholas starts opening up about his last relationship. He says that boundaries were crossed in a serious way that ended things. But then they started to tiptoe uncomfortably back into being intimate. Like, is it the temptation of being like, oh, it's cool, it's all fine, it's fine? Like, no. But, like, are you tempted? I, I don't know. I'm just wondering if there's, like, some mm-hmm. push and pull there, like some kind of conflict. Maybe the first verse is, like, has a little bit of that temptation, like, wondering if it's possible. And the, you know, the pre and the chorus is establishing, you know, your dimension. The second verse is more, it's like the red flags, like, I see them. It's not going to work. Mm. This is my thing. Julia starts structuring these relationship details into a story structure that begins to connect back to Nicholas's melody in the lyric, My Dominion. But at this point, the production and lyric writing is starting to really clash. And so Nicholas and Julia cut out of the room and they go to the silent drum booth to work out the lyrics. About 20 minutes later, they come back. Yo, what's cooking? Yo. The song is songing. The song is starting to song. Excellent. It's begun to song. Am I still in? I don't know. It's begun to song. What's the plan? What are you thinking? I just want to try singing some shit in. Cool. Oh, will you play the vibe? You're my reflection. You want perfection. The song is starting to song. They've got the hook. You're my reflection. My reflection. I need protection from the only thing, uh, from myself, basically. From the only one that I can't run from. Mm -hmm. The only one on earth I can't escape. The only one I can't. Yeah, it's not what I want to leave them with, though. I I want it to be more like, like, yes, kind of like self-deprecating, but not hopeless. Or is it from my reflection? There's no protection. Mm-hmm. I think that's better. I think that's more what it's trying to be. No protection from the wrath. We are wrestling this motherfucking song <laughs> to the ground. Fuck, we're gonna win. The only problem: it's six forty-five p.m. and the next session in the studio starts in just fifteen minutes. Are they kicking us out at six thirty? Yeah, we got another session. But Nicholas is committed to figuring out the core ideas of the song in the final minutes of the session. You Hear me out. I, what, I think we can finish it with the lyrics we have without getting the pre's done. You know what I'm saying? Because then, then we can leave. Then you can leave this with a full song. Yeah, I appreciate that. No, I'm like, like I'm like, I, let's I know go you're for like, it. yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, you're team can, playing like, right we now. We can put it all together. Yeah, but it is all there. There's an alternate 
There's this like, won't you be the magnificent innocent mess of a human I am? Like, there's that thing. The magnificent innocent mess of a human being. It's very Freddy Mercury. Yeah, it's like a little Freddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> magnificent innocent mess of a man. Is an innocent mess of a man. That's cool. Mess of a man is deep. Mm. Magnificent. Uh, uh, happy. He is so close, but. Will works at the studio and needs to start prepping the next session. I'm gonna have to pack, start packing up soon. Yeah, this will be, this will be. And maybe try and phrase it so you hit the first line of the chorus. Just it, to make exactly. Sure. Okay, totally. totally. That's what what Could you want one more? The magnificent, innocent, mess of a man. Like mm. a little space after that. Magnificent, innocent, mess of a man. Yeah, I think that's cool. So, what's the thing we need most? This I think that has all the ideas on it. Andrew's been diligently working behind the computer, capturing all the audio, and is confident they have all the sections that they need to finish the song. Yeah, it, it's like, you know, the vocal flows and the sections are clear. Yeah, Yo, let me put a harmony on there. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> It's just to have mercy, please. Have mercy, please. I never meant to let you down. I'll, I'll touch this up tonight and get you guys a bounce. Sounds great. Can we do a quick text thread just so we're all oh, yeah, 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 sure. in like, you know, yeah. uh, plug in. Yeah, we do gotta get out of this room. Hey guys. Hey. We fucking got this. <laughs> we did, yeah. Nice work. I literally might not be able to do this. I wanted to. That night, Nicholas took my reflection to an anti-social open mic and tried it for the audience of the camp. Right, here we go, here we go, here we go. <laughs> Don't show the truth to me Like the sun it burns to see What's become of me The beauty and the beast And by the closing ceremony of Antisocial Camp, the song was ready for playback. It was the final song to play at Antisocial, and Nicholas says he's considering cutting it for his next project. So what did going inside a song camp teach me and what can we maybe take out of this if we don't get exclusive invites into song camps. I think there's something really special, first of all, about getting out of our usual context with new groups of people to find inspiration in whatever our creative pursuits are. But we have to be vulnerable enough to open up and see what might come from that experience. And if we are open with our collaborators in those new places, I think we can create new and beautiful things. And I really need to get an invite to that Bali camp. Before we go, I actually did a whole panel at the Antisocial Song Camp with Nicholas Patrika and a number of other very great songwriters, producers, and engineers. I'm going to post that as a bonus episode. You can check it in our feed later this week. Switched on Pop is produced by Rana Cruz, engineered by Brandon McFarland, edited by Art Chung, illustrations by Iris Gottlieb, community management by Evie Barr. Our executive producer is Nishat Kurwa, and we're a member of the Vox Media Podcast Network and a production of Vulture. You can find more episodes at switchedonpop.com. On social media, we are at switchedonpop. And we'll be back again next week reviving our series on wonders. And until then, thanks for listening.
One final shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. You know, it's a terrible question. What's your favorite part of having nasal allergies? I don't know. Absolutely nothing. Luckily, you might be able to find some relief with Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's astaproallergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing and itchy nose due to allergies.